This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. But but the basic, the genesis of it was I was a brand new Nugget pilot in my first squadron, and these guys... Uh, on 9/11, they were on the Enterprise heading home, and when when the uh, when 9/11 happened, the carrier turned around, and so they were the first guys dropping bombs in Afghanistan off of, off the Enterprise. And so I check into the squadron, and they're all combat seasoned aviators. They wouldn't listen to a word I had to say, and so of course they give the new guy, "Hey, you're going to stand up, and you're going to brief the whole squadron on this weapon or whatever." So I'm standing up in front of the room, and I'm starting to give my spiel. And not a single person is listening to me. And so I just sort of trail off and look around like, what am I doing here? And somebody goes, did I hear a Niner in there? Is that like Tommy Boy? And so uh, so they, they tried all different types of versions of it, but, but uh, Farley is the one that stuck. I, it, well, I thought it was because of the dancing, like Patrick Swayze wearing yeah. the Chippendales thing. You're shaking. Yeah, that came later. That came later. <laughs> Uh, you know, once you get a call sign, you can either fight it or embrace it. And I embraced it. I was the fat man in the little coat. I was living in a van down by the river, you know, uh, my fantasy baseball team was the fat dead comedians. I mean, it just you know blew up. So battle line podcast, Jack Stewart on for the second time. And I, I want to have him on for a second time because Jack is a fan of Tonto's. It was just, uh, it was just Jack and myself the last time back on episode 214 in November, Um, he's doing something really unique, I have to say, and that he's putting these books out every three months and hopefully it's a good strategy. I mean, time will tell, uh, with like Brad Thor, Jack Carr, you got to wait another year for this book to come out. Um, I think the whole plan is basically the moment you put this book down, you have another book that you can anticipate and it's fresh in your mind. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I know a lot of you guys who read military thrillers, you're, you're avid readers. So, um, I know Jack puts a lot of work into these books and he's, he's pumping them out. Yeah, and the longevity. Yeah, the one thing with books is, even here, how long ago was, you know, thirteen hours or some of that? It's been a while, and people, books just continually people buy them, and that's that's the beauty of books. I mean, you, yeah, you'll do really well at the beginning, but over time, if you have a good book out, it doesn't matter if it's thirty years down the road, somebody's gonna buy it, and so I hope it does really well right off the bat too. But that's the thing is, is he's such a talented writer, and just. He's a good. If you listen to pod, when you listen to the podcast, <laughs> he's a just an awesome dude. That go, you're gonna enjoy his books. So whether you get it now or you get it next year, you're gonna read his books and you're gonna want. But get it, it now, get it now, because it's out today. I want you to get them now. Yeah, me and Ian want you to get it right. We want you to get all his books right now. But I also, you know, I, I do it at your schedule, and that's the beauty of books is that get them at your leisure but do get them and jack is just an awesome and he's just an awesome dude and he's just cool as hell so yeah um hey i did want to mention this and i i don't think we'll go into detail too much but i i didn't want to not mention it basically uh we're recording this on thursday the news came out on wednesday much closer to you um the shooting at the kansas city chiefs uh parade uh, I, I don't know what to say, man. This is absolutely horrible. And, um, you know, we spoke last episode about how football and sports, it's an escape for people from all the nonsense in society. So it just it sucks when this type of thing 
infects something that is family time and fun time for people. And I mean, I know so many great Chiefs fans, you know, who actually I texted Jimmy Allen, who does the theme music for us, because yeah, I was like, hey, say, are you all right? Were you there? And, and he wasn't there, luckily. Um, you know, or Richard Christie from the Howard Stern Show, who grew up in Fort Scott, Kansas, also one of the yeah. best death metal drummers of all time, diehard Chiefs fan. Um, and, and actually, shout out to the Chiefs fans who helped to take down these guys um, so that they didn't do any more damage. But, yeah, man, it, it, it sucks that in society today, anywhere you go, we could be a target. And I don't want to get into the politics of it, but I'm just, you know, RIP, especially the radio DJ who died, fellow radio DJ, um, children injured. I don't know what else to say about it, though. Yeah, I, I guys, I and I, I, you guys know that listen to the show. I don't watch the news. I knew it happened. I didn't get into it. I, I don't. Uh, I don't say ignorance is truly bliss, but sometimes it is. And and not being ignorant of what's around you, believe me, I protect myself and I protect my family. Um, I do carry. Uh, so for those of y'all don't know, I do where I can legally carry, and I do. But that being said, I, I think. We make too, we, we magnify. And I, I said this in an earlier show with me and Ian, like, hey, we magnify these atrocities. So it, it makes people want to do these things because they're going to be a star. They're going to be the Joker. I think we even mentioned, I, that's how I said it. It's like, hey, we got people that just want to be the Joker because they want to see themselves on TV doing something atrocious because we make it that way. So that's all I'm going to say on that. I think Ian's, and I agree with Ian, hey, we don't need to talk any more more about it. Hey, you guys are scumbags. You guys that did it, you know, you guys are pieces of shit. Leave it at that. Thank you to the fans, and that's why I love living in Kansas. To the fans that took him down. I mean, who does that? That's awesome. Love you guys, man. You guys are heroes. Um, and then we'll leave it at that because it doesn't need to get any more publicity as it's already going to get, which is what these fucking shooters, part of what they wanted. They want to be famous for being evil and that's how the most majority of these active shoot active shooters are so to hell with y'all yeah, yeah. screw you guys i i agree with all of that uh on a positive note i actually do want to say i got i got to see static x last night in their tour um i was on the that was, is list, that the so. picture you sent me i, I saw absolutely that. I, like, that was, I mean it, that was what that, else would it be it said static how x did on I the not screen see that? Oh, this yeah is... man and and they had you know the frankenstein up on stage like how was that man it, it is visually such an awesome show to see. They they were great. Seven Dust was great. Dope was awesome. So I just wanted to say, you know, they were gracious enough to come on the show, uh, get me and a guest in. So go out and support them. There's plenty more dates on this tour. There's like three quarters of the sh of uh, tour dates left. And on top of that, actually, um, I think I have it in front of me. Yeah, Static X just put out Project Regeneration Volume Two, and I'll hold up the CD. Um, because the fact is, man, if, if you're a fan, they really put a lot of work into these digipacks. So if you're streaming on Spotify, it really doesn't help these bands out. Um, and, and they put a lot of work in. So buy their CD, go to their tour, get a shirt. They're just great guys. Listen back to that interview. It did really well for us. Um, so before we get to Jack, I want to mention, of course, Bub's Naturals. Bub's Naturals is the best supplement company that we have supported now for years. Yeah. Uh, collagen protein is their main product. Of course, they also have the apple cider vinegar gummies, uh, MCT oil powder, hydrate or dye. But if you're looking to start with collagen, collagen is the most abundant protein in the human body. It is literally the glue that holds our bodies together. Collagen is a blend of highly functional amino acids found in the body's connective tissue. 
And Bubs upcycles cowhide that would be wasted by leather tanneries and uses that hide from pasture-raised and grass-fed cows. An enzyme bath breaks down the hide into molecules and boosts the amino acid profile. The collagen is agglomerated and hydrolyzed into a powder. This is great for your hair, skin, nails, if you're recovering from an injury, um, and also if you're looking for something for post-workout recovery. So go to BubsNaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off. Once again, BubsNaturals.com. Promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off. You'll get the best deal through us when you go there. Also, this show is sponsored by our great friends at Photonist Defense. Now you can have the superpower to see in the dark with the Viper Binocular Night Vision System by Photonist Defense, which is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonist Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and enthusiasts can rely on the Photonist Defense Viper Binocular to become masters of darkness. The new Viper Binocular system carries the same features and benefits as the Photonist Defense Viper Monocular with a ruggedized body and harnesses the power of the echo intensifier tubes, giving you sharper images, reduced halo, and industry-leading ultra-fast auto-gating across the range of dynamic operating conditions. Go there now, visit photonistdefense.com for more information or look for Photonist Defense product options from your night vision dealer. Photonistdefense.com, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S, defense.com. Let's get over to Jack Stewart. From Kansas City to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm gonna shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. is on battle line podcast on with us very special guest for the second time because first time you were on it was just you and myself great discussion but it's cool to have uh the all-star team here so fighter pilot naval academy graduate top gun graduate combat vet with deployments as a part of air force tactical control and jsoc currently an airline pilot and the latest book is outlaw last time you were on we spoke about unknown rider and we spoke about actually the fact that these books came out three months apart so that as soon as you're done with Unknown Rider, you can then get right into Outlaw um, so people don't have to wait. And um, the day that people will be hearing this, Tuesday, the book will be out. And I know people are really excited for it. You had a great response on the first book. 
Yeah, thanks. I've, I've been uh, busy in my hole, you know, just writing away because I've got, you know, book three coming out later this year as well. So I barely have time to, to even acknowledge that book two is coming out uh, next week. But, man, I'm so pumped to have it out there. Well, my question was, I, I, you know, you're an airline pilot. You're you're flying the plane still, right? You're not just in there writing yeah. another book. I, mean, I was learning that. Going, How the fuck is he finding time to, to write the book? Like, I'm flying all these pilots better be flying these dang planes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I, it, it's hard to do. I, my, so I was like, how do, you, how do you find the time, man? Well, you know, that's the funny thing is last week, uh, maybe it was a couple weeks ago now, Brad Taylor, who's one of my favorite authors, um, you know, he's a former Special Forces officer. Yeah. He, he was here in the Dallas area giving a talk about his latest book. And one of the things that he said that stuck with me is that um, people ask when he finds time to write. And they mean, when do you find time to put the words, you know, on paper and to yeah. tap away at the keyboard. But to him, writing is all the time. It's just going on in his head. The story's just going on. And so when I'm flying an airplane, that's what I'm doing. I mean, you know, I'm, I, I used to kid that I was never going to get paid to just look out a window all day, but I actually am now. And so I, as I'm watching the country go by, I'm, I'm building the stories in my head. So when I get to the hotel on the overnight, I sit down in my room, open up my laptop, and put the words down. Because that's that's got to be hard to do, man. I but I get what you're saying. I, I do. I, things going through your head, and like that sounds good. You have an epiphany just out of nowhere. Like, okay, I'm oh, gonna yeah. put this. I'm gonna put this down and down and get it in a book or get it wherever. Get it written up on an article. You know, I think reading our one of our guests, and she's a wonderful friend of ours, tremendous Holly McKay. I think she's the same way. I just from what she has, it's just you just know she's thinking of oh, man. I got to put this down and having the medium yeah. that she has, she can get it down immediately. We're having a book though, man. If you're not putting those notes down, I don't know. You must have a, a brain like a bear trap, dude. Because I'll think of something and if I don't put it down <laughs> in thirty seconds, it's gone. Like what the hell would that? But I'm, yeah. not, I'm a very simple. I'm a I'm not a smart man. So maybe maybe you well, just got that brain that just remembers it. It depends on who you ask. If you ask my wife, I usually forget something immediately after I'm told. So, uh, but yeah, if it's about the story, that that usually sticks with me for a little bit. Do you, well, do you use the voice notes feature when you can't write stuff down? Because I do that too. Even just thinking of interviews, I'm like, this would be a great question. I'll use the voice notes or I'll write it. If I do have time, I'll write it. I mean, I keep so many notes on my iPhone. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've tried. I've tried that. I, I've talked to other authors that they have a, a really high daily word count. I'm like, how do you do that? And they use a dictation app on their phone. They'll just go for a walk and they'll they'll dictate their, their story and that's going on in their head. And then when they get back and they download it all into Word, then they kind of finesse it. I tried that and I, I just can't do it. For me, I just need to see the words on the page and I need to think about what word's coming next. And so I don't use dictation. I don't really take voice notes. I really just kind of talk to myself. And, and then uh, later on when I forget what I was telling, telling myself, I... I, I uh, beat myself over the head and like, yeah, you should write that down. So, I mean, I've got notebooks that I, I swear I'm going to start writing notes in, but I never actually do. So, I, I don't know if that's um, a good I, thing either, bro. I don't want to yeah. see a pilot walking around the airport talking to himself. I, yeah, I, especially that's right. if you're. <laughs> I, I, I know I, I wasn't on the last episode, but you know, I, I did want to talk about Top Gun School, and and then yeah. I don't know, Ian. Did did I can't remember. This is my memory. Yeah, was we spoke movie, about all what, that stuff. What, but if was, the movie, was the movie out? Was the movie out? Was the movie out? Was Top Gun? Oh, yeah, we spoke Maverick? about the movie. Yeah. We spoke, we spoke yeah. Top Gun too. Well, okay. well, it was only three months ago. This was only three months I, ago. Well, that's what I said. I, I didn't, and I watched that. I loved the Tom Cruise. 
but the kids they're not getting they're trying to you can tell they're trying to act I mean maybe it's my opinion they're trying yeah. to act cool and not not pulling it off they're not pulling it off like like Val Kilmer and yeah and, yeah and, and Tom Cruise did and and uh Goose when you watch that aside for is that that's not how you guys I mean because I was like this guy's they got to be a lot cooler than they got to be cool. Like I remember, maybe I'm just an old fart and I'm just a grouchy son of a bitch that doesn't, that thinks all kids are a bunch of wussies nowadays. But when you're watching that, especially the bar scenes or when they were arguing, it's like, man, I've been around piles before. And they, I, I, that, 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 that's, I I don't know. What, what was your opinion? And you probably said it in the last episode, but I wasn't here. So I wanted to know your opinion on, on that second movie. It was a wonderful movie. Loved it. And, and Tom Cruise was amazing. It was a great movie, but I just couldn't get over that. Those thirty somethings were acted trying to act to be cool, and I was like, "Man, Pilots yeah. is cool." But what was your just an opinion on? Yeah. On oh man, I mean that's a that's a tough one because the assumption that you're making is that every pilot is cool, and that's <laughs> not true. Um, as much as we'd like to think that's the truth, it's not. So um, I thought it was actually a pretty realistic um, representation of just the complete difference in cool. you know you've got Hangman who's this kind of cocky arrogant it's kind of know, a douchebag um, dude we, yeah, uh, that, yeah that, every, exactly every, yeah yeah this is douche we douche but we special yeah. ops guys pilots there's douchebags everywhere i was a yep, douchebag yep. He, so he was that he was that and then you had bob who was like the brainy kind of yeah. dorky backseater and i've met i've met that dude as well you know um so i thought it was a pretty cool representation of kind of the whole spectrum of cool, That's cool. um in in aviators but um but the cool thing about it that I thought was that I really took away was that um, it really showed how the people with different um, attitudes and confidence levels and stuff kind of all came together okay. and completed a mission, you know, which I think anybody that's been in combat yeah. can appreciate that you got people from all different backgrounds and some are very confident, some are very scared and some are you know in between and they all come together and they complete it. And that's what I liked about the movie. No, that's that was one thing I took away from it too. It's just it's just coming together as a team, and and yeah. I I, I you know, I'm not been a pilot, but the guys on the ground the same way. We got douchebags, we got arrogant guys, we got brainiacs. <laughs> I mean, we got, but when the mission's time, it's we put all that aside and let's get the job done. It, it was it was it was wonderful, wonderful movie, and uh, but yeah. I was just I was wondering. I'm like, man, I swear pilots were cooler than that but maybe i just saw yeah, we, we spoke cool. a little top gun on the last <laughs> yeah. episode and, and uh put some clips up of that but you know what i wanted to ask you we'll get into the book itself i mean i definitely want to talk out well yeah. but before we do one thing that i actually didn't ask you about and you did so many podcasts outside of this you you were on with our friend john rain waters and i didn't even yeah. realize this because i you know i read the book but and i read your background but uh he even put it on the on the thumbnail itself Call sign Farley, as in Chris yeah. Farley. I have yeah. to hear the. I have to hear the story behind that. Man. Uh, well, see, I've got, um, I've got the story that I tell people, uh, and then I've got the story that that really happened. But, but the basic, the genesis of it was, I was a brand new Nugget pilot in my first squadron, and these guys uh, on nine eleven, they were on the Enterprise heading home, and when when the uh, when 9-11 happened, the carrier turned around, and so they were the first guys dropping bombs in Afghanistan off of, off the Enterprise. And so I check into the squadron, and they're all combat seasoned aviators. 
they wouldn't listen to a word I had to say. And so, of course, they give the new guy, hey, you're going to stand up. You're going to brief the whole squadron on this weapon or whatever. So I'm standing up in front of the room. I'm starting to give my spiel, and not a single person is listening to me. And so I just sort of <laughs> trail off and look around like, what am I doing here? And somebody goes, did I hear a Niner in there? Is that like Tommy Boy? <laughs> and so uh, so they, they tried all different types of versions of it, but – but uh, Farley is the one that stuck. I it, well, I thought it was because of the dancing, like Patrick Swayze, wearing yeah. the Chippendales thing. You're shaking. Yeah, that came later. That came later. Uh, <laughs> what, you know, once you get a call sign, you can either fight it or embrace it. And I embraced it. I was the fat man in the little coat. I was living in a van down by the river. You know, uh, my fantasy baseball team was the fat dead comedians. I mean, it just you know blew up. So uh, that's ah, man, that's awesome. All right. I get in the book, talk about it. Uh, the the new one you've got, we've got Outlaw, and said I got my mine here. I get a signature in mine. You guys don't, so tough luck. That's that's why it's good to know people in high places. But yeah, get <laughs> yeah. into get into a little bit, brother, if, if you can, without giving away the whole thing. Yeah. And and uh, I, you know, I hey, this is it's your platform. Yeah. So um, so I'll start off by saying I think. I'm pretty sure you guys had him on here. Brett Crozier, he was yeah, the Yeah, um, I was actually just speaking about CEO. Brett Crozier. Great guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, <laughs> fantastic human being. And um, he he and I got winged in Kingsville um, together. So, when he transitioned from being a helicopter pilot to being a jet pilot, uh, we went through jet training together. So, we went to the aircraft carrier together um, to do our initial carrier qualification. So, I've known him for a long time. And um, what happened, you know, when he was in command – of the Theodore Roosevelt during COVID really kind of stuck with me. Like, yeah. you know, that no one really knew what was going on. You know, at the time, um, COVID was being, you know, talked about as this zombie apocalypse. And if you got COVID, you were going to just like, your face was going to melt off and you're going to eat your neighbors and stuff. And so I don't blame him at all for how he handled the situation on the carrier. Um, but I started thinking what happened, what would have happened if that was, not just like a, a naturally occurring virus or if it was just, you know, something that was even man-made that sort of accidentally got there. But what if it was a targeted attack to take the carrier off the board? And so that's where I kind of got the idea uh, for Outlaw is um, I started kind of digging into synthetic bioweapons. And um, in doing my research, um, I, I ran across this article. I kind of wish I hadn't now, but um, I ran across this article that was written by a professor at West Point. He's now he's now a professor at Columbia University, but he, he worked on the, um, I think it was the, the Com Combating Terrorism Center at West Point or something, and he talked a lot about synthetic bioweapons. And so I got him on the phone and I talked to him. I'm like, hey, you know, what does this look like? Like if I wanted to, to have an enemy you know, build a, a virus that could take out a ship, you know, what would that look like? And he goes, oh, that'd be really easy to do. And so <laughs> he started laying it out for me um, on how they have, um, they have, they have like two different, like, the, like the virus can be broken up into two parts and you can do this now. Like high school kids do this in competitions, which is ridiculous, but they can create one part that's completely harmless that just infect everybody. They don't even know they have it. And then when you introduce this second, um, something call it caffeine or, or another, um, chemical into that, you know, person that's been infected, it causes this chain reaction that then they, this is really a sick virus that can spread. And I was like, wait a second. So you're saying that people could be, already be infected with half of a weapon and wouldn't even know it until the enemy wants to trigger it by introducing this other one. He goes, yeah, absolutely. That's, 
we could do that right now. And uh, it, it kind of scared the living daylights out of me, but that's what I ended up doing with Outlaws. What would that look like if the enemy actually attacked a carrier with this kind of weapon? How would they, you know, combat it? What would they do? And honestly, I, I had Brett read the book and, and give me his opinions on it. And he was like, he's like, dude, I think you nailed it. So, um, yeah, that's the genesis of Outlaw. Yeah, the thing that I like, by the way, and I, I spoke about last time you were on, is that so many of these books take place all over the globe, of course. We've had Brad Thor on. You know, you just mentioned Brad Taylor. I like the first book took place mostly in California. Now... Mm -hmm. We're over in Asia. We're in China. And I think that that's going to keep people excited when they put down that first book and pick up this second and they see that yeah. Colt Bancroft is now in China. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. And, you know, the the thing that I've, I'm carrying throughout this series of books and this Battleborn series is there's there's a military component, which I, I use Colt Bancroft, you know, the, the fighter pilot as the, the main protagonist for that storyline and then there's there's an element of espionage and i've got uh, punky king who's a, a ncis counterintelligence agent she's out there hunting spies and that's the espionage piece and the the stories um you can't have one without the other and that was one of the things i wanted to get across with unknown writer being all domestic is that this the the front line isn't overseas somewhere the front line is in your backyard the front line is in the major cities in the united states where china in particular is very heavy in espionage and they are in every aspect of society and you, you can open up the new york times and on pretty much any given day find an article about some chinese spy that's done something in academia in politics in you know industry whatever um but the interesting thing about outlaw which is a little bit different than unknown writer is that colton punky both have integral parts to the story but they're never in the same place punky is in america the entire time and colt is overseas the entire time but it, it, one doesn't happen with, without the other, which I think is really important for the reader to understand as well that, you know, hey, wars are fought overseas, but a lot of the work that goes into them happens here. Uh, and the people that are still back home doing the good work, you know, they need to do to gather the intelligence and to, to build up the target sets and stuff. So um, that was interesting thing about a lot. I didn't even realize, honestly, until the book was done that they didn't they were never in the same place at the same time which would make a, a romantic thing sort of hard to happen so or are you we're gonna get romantic i mean we're making love no. books now we're not doing that are you <laughs> Harle no. harlequin romances or something <laughs> yeah no those are published under a fake name yeah <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised farley, i mean it's farley yeah. farley what what's the name farley what there's gotta be two or is it just farley you gotta find it when you find it let me know <laughs> I could just tell you, man, as a voice actor, like I look up auditions, there are plenty of Navy SEAL romance novels. There's like a huge, oh, yeah. there's a huge market for those. Yeah, yeah. The, and the SEALs are all writing them. Is that right? Ah, probably I so. think so. No, no, no. I know yeah. one of them who, who was working on something. I do. Oh, man. Boy, they, I swear, we, we, was, we were, at, when I was at Ranger Town, it was a joke. I did not... They, and granted, we have our own. I mean, we got me and Nick Irving now, and and uh, you know Marty. We we write books, but not on that level. But we still. But we used to make that joke that they must have a class when they go through buds or when they go through yeah. how to market themselves, marketing yourself after the teams, and they all have to go through that to pass to get their trident. That was a joke we yeah. ran. But I honestly it, now could think that's the truth because I'm with you. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. But they are. Yeah, Harley can romance. I mean, everything out there. <laughs> 
is but you know the funny thing hey is, they're good at it they're good at it that that's a joke but i wish the military gave everybody that training because that, you know <laughs> i had no i had no idea how to market myself when i left the military and i'm just sort of fumbling along i honestly i look at navy seals to figure out how they're doing it and watch I, them. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually that was my his question is in Forgive me again, Jack, because uh, me missing the last episode, so you may be repeating yourself. But yeah, getting into this, you know, leaving because yeah. I, I, yeah, I know, I know John, I know Rain, and I know now, I know, I know you, I know you. But other than that, I don't know a lot of pilots. That is this something that you that you guys talk about, or or is it just an anomaly yeah. that? And I know two people that happen to be fighter pilots that were really good fighter mm-hmm. pilots that are writing books. Is that just, I'm just lucky. I'm just a lucky guy. Cause you don't see that very often. It's not <laughs> yeah, something you guys I mean, think about, right? Like I'm gonna write a book. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a lot of people, I think in any uh, profession that, that said, you know, Hey, I'm going to write, I'm gonna write a book one day, but it's always one day, you know, one day, yeah. it's always yeah. one day. I'm going to do that. And, um, I got tired of saying one day, cause I've been saying that my whole life. One day I'm going to write a novel. You know, my only goal in life was to publish one novel, have it in the bookstores, and then I was going to be done. That's it. And then as I started doing it and realizing I've got more than just one story to tell, I've got a ton of more stories to tell. And so I wanted to actually make it a profession. And so I think that's where, that's what separates, you know, me from a lot of other guys. There's, there's a, a very, very talented author, um, Kevin Miller. He, um, he's published several books, um, a bunch of them are kind of modern day, um, based on the F-18 and carrier aviation and stuff. But he's got one that's um, called the Silver Waterfall, which is a historical novel based on the Battle of Midway, and um, and that one, that one's fantastic. And he just doesn't get enough press. Those stories don't get enough press, and I wish I wish they would. And so I think my goal is to try to bring more of the aviation stories out. You know, the last really really good bestseller that kind of was in the aviation realm was you know, flight of the intruder probably. And wow, that took place a, in that was a long time ago. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was a while ago. I, that was a book I read once, but the, the movie was actually, I love that. It was, I mean, I was a kid just yeah. and midway. Yeah. was one of the midway is the first movie that I war movie I ever watched as a kid with Charlton Heston. And that was oh, yeah. amazing. I'd love that. It made me want to join the mill. I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to fly the, right. What I wanted to be a pilot. And I'm like, this is so cool. Yeah. So, uh, I, but yeah, you just don't you don't see a ton of that anymore. Or those stories yeah. anymore a, anymore. Um, how much truth? And I, I always ask this to the veterans and the military personnel that are fiction writers, because I read them like this. That's not fiction, dude. They may be passing on. I, that yeah. shit. I know that shit. Really, how much fiction is in this or in the books writer? And is or are you pulling from real life experiences and? making it fiction or calling it fiction because and just by changing a name it's like i know that that's that's what they do that's this ain't fiction man or is it just because the character we call it fiction because names have changed or we're, we're fabricating a character because your books dude that you i know you guys do that shit i i, I know nci you know some of that stuff happens um never been in the NC, you know ncis but i do know that they're always sneaking and peeking around and doing shit like that now you yeah. say the bioweapon stuff is even actually truth I'm like well yeah. yeah are they are these yeah. really fiction books matter because now you're scaring me it's like these these gotta be dumb <laughs> fiction books yeah you know so th- that was honestly my fear when i started talking about the synthetic bioweapons i wanted it to be realistic and so i asked him i'm like how do i make this realistic without you know giving secrets away sure. to the bad guys i don't want them to learn how to do it and he goes oh he's like you you couldn't do that it's already out there 
he, he mentioned like the Marburg virus, you know, which you used to have to go like in the deepest parts of Africa to pull this virus out and then you'd have to, you know, grow it and, and then weaponize it. Now you, you've got the genome. Now you can just synthesize it in your garage with for a couple thousand dollars or something and high school kids could do this. And I'm like, okay, this wow. is terrifying. Um, so how much is fiction? I mean, I'd say it's possible. A lot of the stuff I write about is definitely possible. What's real, what I can say is real is kind of the, the quality of the people in the story. So the pilots and how they interact with each other and their dedication okay. or the counterintelligence agents or, um, you know, the, the ship drivers, the, I've got seals in the book, you know, um, I've got some CIA air branch types. I think those people I've encountered every single one of them. Um, and, and that's what I want, really wanted to bring out is the kind of people that I had the pleasure of serving with for 23 years, you know, and, and keep in touch with a bunch of them still. So I want them to be able to read it and kind of recognize some of those, some of those characters. So that's, what's real. The missions are different. I mean, the F-18, uh, we had the legacy Hornet, which is the one I flew the A through D model. We had a couple kills, I think, and they were both in desert storm. And then the, uh, the next kill we had was a super Hornet um in syria um there was a shoot down and that was it that's all the, that's all the hornet has had for air-to-air -air kills so if, it'd be pretty boring for me to write a book where you know a super hornet pilot doesn't shoot anybody down so all that's complete fiction but i just based it off of kind of you know real real tactics and and kind of real missions that we train to do is that hard to get cleared then? I, I'm sorry, and I, I no, apologize. No, no. But yeah, yeah. Is that because when you're you, know, you, you you're trying to you're trying to maintain cover, you're trying not to put out any opsec, but you do have to mm -hmm. make some. Like I said I want to. I don't want to read a book that says yeah the F-18 did a 360 degree turn and spun around and flipped over and then shot you know a heat seeking missile that went. I you know, I want it to be. But yeah, is it hard yeah. to get those things cleared, man? Man, because I no. I. I the good, I mean, the good news is, you know, because it's fiction and because I don't include any classified information, I don't uh, actually run it through the DOD for clearance. Um, so I make it, you know, the tactics I'd say are real, but I don't actually talk about, you know, specific numbers and ranges sure. and, yeah. you know, um, degrees and angles and altitudes. And I mean, all this, all this stuff that actually makes the tactics, um, you know, classified. I mean, there's, I've got a book, you know, behind me on a bookshelf called fighter combat maneuvering. And this book's been published forever and it has like a PhD level, you know, course on, on air combat maneuvering. And that's all I'm using, you know, uh, in my books. And that's, like I said, that's been published forever and it's out there for anybody to read, but really what I want the reader to, to take away from my stories is not necessarily the, the actual tactics or the actual maneuvers, but really what the pilot in the seat is feeling. You know, what he's experiencing, you know, when he's, you know, amped up and got a lot of energy, when he's scared, when he's terrified, um, the, the periods of, of complete boredom where you're just trying to not, you know, put a bullet in your head um, because you're just sitting strapped into an injection seat for hours and hours and waiting for something to happen. So that's what I, that's really what I wanted to get across to the reader and, and what what I think, you know, I want my um, my books to convey. Hope you guys are enjoying this episode with Jack Stewart. Great to have Jack back on uh, promoting his new book, Outlaw. 
Before we continue, though, this show, just like all of our shows, is sponsored by Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC-spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. And uh, if you go to fsm.com and you do it online, you'll get the best deal through us. Just use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Once again, that's fsm.com. Promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. Also on this show, our great friends at Pamax Tactical. Pamax Tactical is a law enforcement-owned and operated company based in Florida that proudly manufactures 100% USA-made products. Pamax Tactical has several unique products, including their Lion Blank Fire device, used as a safer and reusable cost-effective alternative for breaching and training for both civilian and law enforcement applications. The device uses several types of blank cartridges and is used extensively in training environments, including canine training and as a way to induce stress on the range. This is something you use all the time. Well, this this is something because it's reusable. We used to use the old flashbangs. You have to carry a ton of those things because it's basically pull one, pull the cord, use it once. Where these you can use over and over and over again. So if you're in a training environment, you're law enforcement, military, guys, they're cost effective. They work better. And like I said, you don't have to carry a bunch of flashbangs in, in a bag, which can be just quite cumbersome, especially if you're an instructor. So if you're doing any sort of active shooter drills, if you're doing any sort of CQB, you're doing anything that needs to induce stress, get with Paymax and get over there and, and get their stuff and stop carrying those flashbangs around. They're, they're, it, you're going to see how much time you save and how much money you're going to save by using them. And, and again, another company that is just good people man and you want to work with good people especially today's society you have find people guys i want to find people with great ethics which they have so get over there get their stuff if you're an instructor you're wasting money if you keep using those flashbangs yeah so in addition to their lion device pamex tactical has produced several products including their hades hybrid muzzle device lines rip ar ambidextrous charging handles x slick coated bolt carrier groups pin and weld uppers and stuff that I can't talk about on YouTube. So read between the lines there. Go to Pamax Tactical and you're going to see everything I'm speaking of. Uh, all Pamax Tactical products is 100% USA made and backed with a lifetime warranty. You can find out more about the products they offer by visiting their website at pmtactical.com. That's pmtactical.com. Use the, co- use the uh, coupon code TANTO at checkout for 15% off your order. Just make sure you're spelling it right. T-A-N-T-O, PMTactical.com, coupon code TANTO, T-A-N-T-O, at checkout for 15% off your order, and they have a great selection of stuff. So check it out, guys. Uh, With that, let's get right back to this interview with Jack Stewart. 
So even though uh, Unknown, when Unknown Rider came out, you already had Outlaw done, uh, you know, and you have the next book in production, you're just a writing machine. Yeah. But I was wondering, what has the feedback been for Unknown Rider? Because for you, this is your debut, and I'm just wondering what yeah. readers have said to you. People have probably met you in person at airports, all that type of stuff. Uh, um, what have they said? <laughs> Well, so far, no one's recognized me. Um, so really? I don't have okay. The from these podcasts? I know it's, Come on. Well, okay. There was one. I will say there was one person that recognized me from a podcast um, at the Atlanta airport. He was another pilot, actually. And he's like, were you just on this podcast? And I was like, yeah, I was, actually. Which podcast? Do you um, remember? Was it Rain or Us? Or? No, that was um, the Mic Drop podcast with Mike Ritland. Oh, well, that's huge. Oh, that's Mike. huge. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was that was a uh, that was a pretty cool moment, but that was it. That was the only time anybody recognized me. Um, that was my one uh, fame moment. But but as far as the feedback goes, I'd say it's been it's been overwhelmingly positive. I mean, obviously, you have to want to read a story, you know, about uh, carrier aviation and spies and all that kind of stuff to really enjoy it. Um, but people have compared me to Tom Clancy, which for me is a huge honor. I mean, I've it's got all huge of books yeah. on this bookshelf. Oh yeah, um, and that's really you know. I, I couldn't have asked asked for anything you know uh, better than that. Um, so the feedback has been very very positive. People have been uh, pretty excited. I mean, obviously, I don't I don't really have an idea of of where I'm landing in terms of sales, but for my debut, I'm thrilled. I I'm just couldn't be happier, and um, I'm even more happy for Outlaw because then people will see I'm not just like a one trick pony. Honestly, I think Outlaw is is even better than Unknown Rider, and I've had people tell me that. Um, and then the third book, which I've just finished um, uh, kind of developmental edits on and I'm kind of in the proofreading and copy edit phase. Uh, that one comes out in November, but that one honestly is even, <laughs> is even better. And I'm, I'm trying to be as humble as I can saying this, but like <laughs> I finished these books, you know, and I think that's actually pretty good. And then but when someone reads it and tells me the same thing, that's when I start to believe it. Do, do you intend for Colt Bancroft to be kind of like how Scott Harvath is for Brad Thor, that this is just going to go on you're going to ride this till the wheels fall off. Yeah. Well, uh, Colt and Punky both. I think I can't do one without the other. Um, and you, you kind of joked about the romance thing. Um, they're, they're more of a sibling dynamic. Um, and so I intend to keep them going together um, in this series. I have a fourth one planned, um, and that will kind of complete a whole story arc. But I could definitely see this continuing past that fourth book into being, you know, a fifth, sixth, seventh book. Um, but I need to, I, need, I do need to sl slow my pace down a little bit because, um, you know, aside from this series, I have another series that I'm co-writing with, uh, Chad Robichaux, um, who's a former force recon Marine. And, um, uh, we're, we're writing a book about advanced force operations and kind of fictional, um, uh, fictional account of kind of what he did for, um, for JSOC, for a JSOC task force. So, um, I've been halfway, well, I'm a little over halfway through writing the second book in that series now, and that's a three-book series that starts, the first one will come out next spring, like next May. Um, and so between the two series, I'm, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with writing, and so I think when I turn in the uh, the fourth book in this Battleborn series, I gotta, I gotta press pause for a minute and, uh, you know, reintroduce myself to my family. Um, you know, maybe fly, maybe fly a couple trips, you know, kind of get used to, to being a normal person for a little bit before I get back into it. But, but yeah, I do, I do, I do see the series continuing. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's cool. And and I think the thing that sets you apart and, and you know, who you said your co-author as well is I mentioned Brad Thor before. You mentioned Brad Taylor. And as great as these guys are at writing books, I think I said this to you in the last interview, um, they have to consult with guys like you to be like, am I getting the lingo right? Is this something that a, that a Navy pilot would do for you, for Jack Carr? You guys have lived that life, so you don't need to consult with anyone. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's true for the for the aviation stuff. But even even then, I still get I still get things wrong. Imagine that um, <laughs> I had I, I actually it was an outlaw. I had one of my friends read it. Believe it or not, he was a flight surgeon. So he wasn't even a Navy pilot. And he he, he texted me. He goes, did you get this wrong? I thought the G warm started off with, you know, uh, pulling six G's. And then you know, I was like, oh, did, I, did I write it wrong? You know, because my brain was just completely, you know, kind of weird when I was writing that. And so I got it wrong. Yeah, sure enough, I had to go back and, and rewrite. It was a very simple thing to do. But, um, but, but yeah, I still have other guys read it. Cause I, number one, I want to make sure I'm not giving anything away that's classified, um, that I'm, I'm nailing, you know, kind of the mission. Um, and, and what, and sometimes some of them will say, Hey, have you thought about maybe he could do this or do that? I'm like, yeah, that would make it better, you know? Um, but then I also, you know, um, I have a lot of tradecraft in my books. I've never been professionally trained. I've been exposed to the world somewhat, you know, through my JSOC uh, deployment, but, but still I, I'm not an expert by any means. So I've got, you know, another good friend, Del Roll, who's, who's, you know, retired CIA case officer. Um, he's re- retired Green Beret. So he's a really good asset for me to go to and, and Hey, can you read this and, you know, make sure that it reads realistically. Again, I don't want to give away anything that's yeah. legitimate current day tradecraft, but, but is, is this something that you could see happening, you know? And so, um, I've, I've found that no matter what your skill set is, you can always benefit by having another set of eyes on it, which is one of the things I've really enjoyed about working with Chad, because I'll write something and we just bounce stuff off each other back and forth. And it, I think it makes for a better story. I kind of wish I had that for this Battleborn series. So it's not just me doing it. You guys looking for a job? You want to write this with me? <laughs> no, no, I, I'm no. I don't know how you enjoy writing books. I hate it. That not doing anymore. I'm done. Maybe a picture book or a pop up. Uh, maybe I'll do something to do, do next. It, uh, is is it more difficult writing books than? Or do you find that is than than, than being a pilot? I I mean I I I said I I would rather. I'm not a gung ho alpha. Man. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I I would rather get shot at again then write a book again yeah. be honest with you is yeah. is it is it to, you, you whip them out you're you're knocking them out but um yeah is it that easy for you as when you were flying at the controls and you're, you're no, going mock, it's, mock 10 
it's it's definitely not easy right i mean it's i think um flying was one of those things you know when i was flying a fighter that that i obviously had to train to it constantly and you know i'm competing against other guys and i'm putting my skills against up against theirs um some days i win some days i lose but i'm always improving and so that that's the perspective i've taken when i've you know approached writing is that you know, I'm not competing against other guys, but I'm comparing myself to other guys. So, I, like you mentioned, Brad Thor and Brad Taylor and Jack Carr. You know, you name any of these guys. Uh, Mark Graney is one of my one of my big heroes. Um, I read their stuff, and every single time I read one of their books, I I want to just like throw it down, just throw up my hands and say I quit. I can never be as good as them, you know. But then I take it on as a challenge. Okay, I got to make myself better, you know. And so that's that's been the approach I've taken. So. Uh, is it uh, easier writing? No, absolutely not. I think it's harder. Um, but but you know, if it's something that you want to True. succeed at, you have to put in the effort and you've got to go through the hard times. So that's that's what I've been doing. What do you? Well, what's improving though? If, I mean, you, you're knocking them out. You're doing the books are. I think they're well written. So what is the? Okay, let's say I'm an expiring writer. I'm brand new. It's yeah. just never done before. And I, I'm, you know, I don't write fiction. You know, all my stuff has been easy. It's just been on me. This is what happened. This is basically biographical. Those are easy. Cause it's like you said, I'm just thinking this is what happened. I'm thinking of stories, but so what little things does a new writer need to do to improve? So you're looking at this, you read it. Okay. I say, you read this done, done with outlaw. What do I need to improve? Or you read Brad's books or you read Jackson mm -hmm. or you read some, you read somebody else's book, like, man, what little things do you need to improve? Because I I don't see it. I mean I just I don't know how to see the see what's if you're good you're good. But tell me because yeah. that that's that's I'm at a complete loss. I wouldn't know what be better if you're good at writing. You're good at writing. How do you improve on being better at writing? Grammar, subject matter, what? Um, I I think it's the little nuanced things like pacing. You know, um, examples I always give. There's a there's a really talented author whose name is Don Bentley. Um, oh yeah, great Don, guy. Yeah, no, Don. yeah. So Don, um, his he has a series of books called you know the Matt Drake series. Okay, and then he went on to write the the Clancy Tom Clancy Jack Ryan Jr. books, um, and now he's writing the Vince Flynn Mitch Rapp books. Okay, but his Matt Drake books are action nonstop. It's like cover to cover, something bad is always happening to Matt Drake. He's putting him in these situations. Something bad happens, and he's got to overcome it. And, and I read one of those books and I am freaking exhausted when I'm done because I'm like, holy crap, like that, I can't believe all that stuff just happened. And I never had a chance to really catch my breath. And so where I think, you know, like I love the, I love the ability to have attention such that you're always going to want the reader to turn the page, but I also want to give the reader a chance to catch their breath. And those are the things, knowing how to do that, how to weave that into the story so it's not just like a big intermission sign that pops up, you know, and the reader puts the book down and walks away. Um, <laughs> knowing how to do that, I think, is a skill that you just have to develop over time. And I've, I've seen other authors that do that so well. And I try to, I don't want to say mimic, that's not really a, a good word, but, but I, I try to embody that style in my writing. And um, sometimes I nail it, sometimes I don't. And I think, you know, obviously we're all, we're our own worst critics and I, I go back and I look at my books and um, or, I, or I listen to Ray Porter narrate the book and, and I'm like, you know, listening to the way he I know he's an amazing narrator. But, you know, 
this this line just didn't work. So then in my head, I'm thinking I wrote it wrong, you know. So next time I have to rewrite it or write it a different way or convey that thought a different way. I don't know. It's just like like I said, we're our own worst critics, and yeah. I am not satisfied with just saying, "Yeah, I can just put the words down." You know, I, I I don't want one of my biggest pet peeves as a as a reader, and I was a thriller fan before I ever started writing books, is that a real somebody would write an amazing debut novel and it was perfect. The second book sucked, you know, and then for me that just killed it. You know, I just I didn't want to read any more of their books because it, I felt like. They, they spent all this time and this effort into making their first book perfect, and their second book was an abysmal failure. Um, I didn't want that to happen to me because, you know, I wanted the second book to kind of raise the bar, and then I wanted the third book to go even higher. You know, I want, I want readers to, to know that I'm putting in the effort every single time I sit down to write a book. And so that's, that's been my goal um, all along and, and, and what I think I need to keep you know, improving and just kind of building the story story out in a way that is satisfying to the reader yeah as an author i feel like there's less uh people are less forgiving in terms of reading a book that they're not satisfied with because like you go see a movie and you spent two hours and it it wasn't your thing that director comes out with another movie two years later you'll give it another chance if you're reading a full book it's an investment of your time and if it wasn't great you're not going to pick up a book from that author again so you have to nail it every time like all these guys that you mentioned they wouldn't be able to put out a new book annually if they weren't nailing it every time yep yep absolutely and and you you hit the nail on the head you know it is a an, an investment of your time to pick up a book and to spend however long it takes you to read that book you know, um, whether it be one day, two days, two weeks, two months, it doesn't matter. That's, that's time that you could be spending with your family on your job, on your passions, but instead you're taking a chance on, on my creative passions. And, um, and so I, I don't take that for granted, you know, and I really want to deliver something that is worthy of that investment. You know, and when you mentioned the Vince Flynn thing, you know, what I think is so interesting because Chris was talking about the challenges of writing. I feel like people being able to pick up where Vince Flynn left off, you know, because we lost him a decade ago, and that people, mm-hmm. that there are authors out there who are able to say, I am going to write this book as if Vince Flynn wrote it. I think that's the hardest thing. I mean, I'm a friend of Jack Murphy, and he, he uh, yeah. uh, wrote a book with our friend Jim West. And Jim, yeah. Jack is a great writer. And he said to me, man, it was the hardest thing to be able to write this as if I'm Jim West. I think to get in someone else's head, uh, like I'm a friend of Anthony Boza. He wrote uh, Slash's book, Tommy Lee's book, um, mm-hmm. uh, Tracy Morgan's, Artie Lang's, which I've read all of them because Anthony is just a great author. But to, I think to have that skill set to say, I'm going to put that person's mind into mine and how would they write it? So when I hear people still picking up for Vince Flynn all these years later, that fascinates me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, Kyle Mills, um, who, was the, who was the guy that was writing for the, you know, yep. Mitch Rat books yeah, um, after Kyle. Vince died. I mean, Kyle, he's just a tremendous author, and um, I, I would be hard pressed to to step in you know, and try to fill his shoes. And could you imagine him stepping into Vince Flynn's shoes? I mean, that's even more daunting. Um, so I completely agree with you. It's a it's a it's a really um, difficult task, and um, I've, I've I'm. Friends, I'd, I'd say I'm friends with most of the guys that have written the Clancy novels after after Clancy died. And um, one of the things that they've all said is that the editor, uh, a guy named Tom Colgan, who I've met, who's a, who's a good friend of mine, 
um, he tells the authors, don't try to write as if you're Tom Clancy, you know, write your book, but just in the Tom Clancy universe. So um, I think for guys like Don Bentley and Mark Cameron, Andrews and Wilson, who are doing the next uh, Jack Ryan Sr. Uh, book or um, MP Woodward, who's doing the next Jack Ryan Jr. book, it allows them to have the freedom to to write their own stories and their own voice, but just using the characters and, and the events of the kind of the Clancy universe. And I think, you know, that would be something that I could see myself doing. Yeah. You, you mentioned Jack Ryan and you mentioned Clancy universe. Is that, do you want to move to that level where your books are now being made into series or maybe a movie made off of them? Or uh, is that something that you aspire to or, or do all writers aspire to the, because the ones that we have talked to yeah. either Brad, now I don't know as many as Ian does, but I do know Brad, I do know Jack and, and obviously Brad aspires to that. Jack is having that done. Um, mm -hmm. You know, even well, even the guy that helped us, Mitchell Zukov, who helped us write ours. You know, he obviously our movie was made, but also uh, Lost in Shangri La was going to get made. Something happened with that, but he aspired to have movies made as or movie or TV shows. Is that something that you do? Because you, you you got the stories. Obviously, yeah. people love these kind of stories. I obviously do. Um, or is that just not a goal? And if or maybe hey, like anything else, if it happens, it happens. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, eh, no big yeah. deal. Yeah, you know, I mean, I would absolutely love to. I'm a huge movie fan, um, yeah. and you know, I've I've got a big screen, you know, projector up in my upstairs. I'll go up there and I'll watch movies, um, and I would love to see my story on the big screen. You know, that would be a huge honor. But it's not something that I can actively go do. I really need, you know, somebody to champion that. And I um, recently had a film agent um, re read Unknown Writer, and she was like you know, this thing was, you know, was amazing. I couldn't put it down. I, I read through it. It was a fantastic story, but there's one problem. They just announced Top Gun three. <laughs> I was like, Oh, oh you killed me, Tom. You're killing me. Tom, you hey, Tom Cruise, a... give me a call. Yeah. I'll write the story for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, so what, you know, whether or not it happens, you know, it's kind of out of my control. Um, you know, like I said, my friend, Mark Graney, he had the gray man come out. Um, you know, I guess it was a couple of years ago now. And he wrote that book 13 years ago. Um, and it, it had been optioned by Hollywood pretty much since it was published. Wow. And it kind of went from one studio to another, one producer to another. Um, at one point, um, I think he said um, Brad Pitt was attached to the project at one point. Um, Charlize, Charlize Theron was attached to the project. It just kind of moved around until finally it, it, it was made. And, and it wasn't made exactly the way his book was written. True. But he says it's a really good advertisement for his books. So it just took 13 years. So if it takes me, you know... 12 years, I'll just say I'm more successful than Mark Graney, you know? Hey, I mean, young. look at Brad Thor. He, he hasn't had a movie yet yeah. or a TV series, and, and he's working on it. I mean, the guy's been doing it for a very long time. So, yeah, yeah success doesn't been happen very, overnight. He's at the top. He is at the top of the thriller genre for the kinds of books that I write. I mean, he is the guy you aspire to be, and he doesn't have a movie out. So, yeah, you yeah. know, that kind of that tells well, you. And for Brad out there, you are not, don't, don't get mad at Ian. You are successful, brother. We're just saying you just haven't. <laughs> got the movie yet so when he says success doesn't happen overnight 
We're not you know, talking about truthful, your book. I really mean yeah. for Jack. We're talking. I mean, this is his second oh. book in, in, in a year. Oh, I, you know, I'm sorry. So. I just want to make sure that's clear. So Brad, Brad's a friend, so he doesn't call me no, and say, Brad is, Brad is extremely successful. What the fuck successful. did Ian just say? No, I, I, like, dude, I think you for Jack, and, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, I think the ultimate goal for you, unless, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're not flying anymore and that you're a full-time fiction, thr- fiction thriller author. Yeah, I would I would love to do that, um, or at least maybe just fly one trip a month, you know, so I can you know get out and uh, clear my head, look out the window for a little bit. Can't, That's can like what Billy it? Joel does. Yeah. Billy Joel does one show at Madison Square Garden a month. He gets he gets like a helicopter okay. from his house in the Hamptons yep. to fly him to the city. <laughs> it's true. He does one show a month. It sells That's out good. every month, and then he goes rough. Home. And yeah, he's been like, I want to do. I, he said, "I'm going to do this until people don't care anymore." He's like. If these stop selling out, I'm done. But for, until then, I'm going to do one show every month. And to me, that's that's like the dream gig. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have the helicopter come pick me up and take me to <laughs> the airport so I can fly one trip and then, you know, come back and spend the rest of the time riding in the Hamptons or something. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I, I, I'm getting off subject because you jumped and it just popped in my head. You've been, you're an airline pilot. What do you think right now with what's going on with? Should we be worried about flying with doors flying off planes, seven thirty seven max engines blowing up underneath and starting fire? Is is are we are we okay? Because I'm still flying a lot and I hate flying. That's why I like jumping. I love being a ranger because I didn't like to be in the plane. I wanted to get (laughs) get me out of this damn thing. Should we be worried, brother, or or things are in control? No, things are things are good. The um, uh, that that door um, with the Alaska Airlines, you know, jet, that was kind of a, a unique situation. So I don't, if you're not familiar with it, that there's a door that normally goes in place there if they have X number of seats on the okay. plane. Well, they don't have that many seats on that plane because they do have a first class uh, section. So there's fewer seats, requires fewer emergency exits. So they put a plug in place of the door and um, Boeing, you know, made a mistake at least on that particular plane. Um, when they put the plug in, they didn't do it correctly, and so, um, but they figured it out. And that's one one thing I, I will say about the aviation world is is every little thing on the airplane is scrutinized by the FAA. Like if if I'm flying and the coffee maker doesn't work, I have to call maintenance, and they have to put it in the logbook that the coffee maker doesn't work and I have to write out all this paperwork. So when you're sitting in the back of the plane grumpy because the pilot says, Hey, we've got maintenance on board looking at something. It's usually just the coffee maker, you know, <laughs> something that's not going to affect the safety of the flight, but that's the kind of level that they look at our operations with. And keep it that level. Cause believe me, I don't, man, if the, I say, you know, I, I if the plane's not going to fly, something's jacked up. If the little lights not blink, I don't give a shit. Put me back on the ground, get that shit fixed. I'll sit there at the yeah. airport because I do not want problems. It is. It's 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 fine. A lot of a lot of you find a lot of rangers that don't like to fly. We hate flying. Yeah. Can't stand can't stand it. But I wanted to ask that because well shit, I got I got to fly a lot. Got some trips coming up. All right, Jack's on the show. I'm going to ask him that because <laughs> yeah. I'm already. Yeah, you're I'm good. good. You're good. You're good. Okay, we're good. Okay, good. It's, good to know. It's actually right. funny that Chris asked that though because I purposely printed out an article from Fox News. Not about that incident, but actually something oh, okay. that I think is more terrifying, quite honestly. And this is from a month ago, but I was waiting mm-hmm. until I had you on the show because I was like, Jack Stewart would be the person to ask. So I'm just going to read okay. the first few paragraphs. There's this is new to me, Jack. I don't, I don't know this either. This is, this yeah, is there's kind of... one paragraph in particular that I think would worry any of us. So okay, uh, this is I'm from ready. Fox News, but you know, 
put the bias aside because they actually quote the actual FAA's website. So FAA's diversity push includes focus on hiring people with severe intellectual and psychiatric disabilities. The Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, is actively recruiting workers who suffer severe intellectual disabilities, psychiatric problems, and other mental and physical conditions under a diversity and inclusion hiring initiative spelled out on the agency's website. And then this is the quote, targeted disabilities are those disabilities that the federal government as a matter of policy has identified for special emphasis in recruitment and hiring. They include hearing, vision, missing extremities, partial paralysis, complete paralysis, epilepsy, severe intellectual disability, psychiatric disability, and dwarfism. Now, here's the paragraph right here that I that my bullshit detector goes off. And it says, I'm ready. the initiative is part of the FAA's diversity and inclusion hiring plan, which says, this is their quote, diversity is integral to achieving FAA's mission of ensuring safe and efficient travel across our nation and beyond. So I would like to know, how does hiring people with severe psychiatric and mental disabilities and physical disabilities help keep us as safe as possible? Shouldn't it, I should need to hear best, your take on Yeah, this. it should just be the best person yeah. for the job. Where, where is it? How, how is that yeah. so... Uh, no, right, sorry, Jack, that was your question. I, and I'm going to jump in on it because that's, that's horseshit. Go ahead, Jack. Sorry. No, I mean, I sorry, think you're saying, the exact same, you're saying the exact same thing that I would say... Um, you know, it, it, it should be the best person for the job. But one of the things I, I, I read a similar article, maybe it was a headline or somebody retweeted it or something about that very thing. And they were implying that the FAA was looking for air traffic controllers with those uh, disabilities. That was the implication that, that somehow it was somebody that was in a role wow. that was a very safety forward role, which is absolutely not true. I mean, I think, okay. um, you know, I'm not a fan of the FAA by any means. So I'm, th this may sound like I'm defending them. Um, and I, I, look, I really look for every opportunity to tell the FAA where they're wrong. So that's not true. But what I will say is that the FAA is like any other government bureaucracy. And you have people um, at the very, you know, uh, lowest levels that really, you know, are doing menial tasks. And, and they're kind of important to keep the wheels moving. But they're not doing something in a very safety-centric uh, role. So they're not the ones that are pressing buttons or on the radio saying, you know, you're clear to land. I think those people um, are highly skilled. Those people, you know, are um, uh, there are vetted appropriately. So they, they don't have any mental incapacities. But um, but but yeah, I mean, you know what you said, Chris, it's it's ridiculous. The way our our environment is in society today is yeah. that, you know, if you, you want to prove how um, how good you are, it's, we just say virtue signaling all the time. You want to prove how good you are by, look at me. I'm hiring X number of disabled people, or I'm I'm hiring this number of you know women, or this color, or whatever. And um, I think everyone who is a professional wants to be hired for their skills, and yeah. you know not because of who they are. You know, it's basically something that they can look at with pride, um, and that's what people are missing. I, yeah, and, and I, you gave I, me some assurance there saying that these are menial tasks. So here was my take on it being completely objective. I, I do get the idea that, hey, you want to put some people in roles who may traditionally be discriminated against for jobs. I get, and it depends what the job is. But the mm -hmm. part, yeah, like I said, that paragraph at the end is when I just go, 
Why do you have to bullshit us? Because it's saying they're hiring these people because it ensures the greatest level of safety. Yeah. No, just yeah. say that we're hiring them to push a level of diversity because there's yeah, no exactly. uh, qualification you could give me that, that this specific rule would make things safer. safer. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, I wish they would just say it like it is. I mean, just stop yeah. trying to treat us like idiots and just tell us really what you're doing. You're really just trying to push an agenda of you know being the most diverse and whatever touchy feely organization ever <laughs> it's it's like the 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 most recent uh, report and you know i try to stay out of politics as much as possible um for my own mental health but, yeah. but when you have a, when you have a report that says that they're not going to uh, bring charges against the president because of his he's an elderly gentleman with diminished mental capacity um and then you've got his people saying Oh no no he's not he doesn't have a mental capacity. Okay, well then try him. I mean, like it, he either committed a crime, and you know he's able to stand trial for it, or he didn't commit a crime because he doesn't have the mental capacity. In which case, he shouldn't have his finger on the button for nuke. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. But they're, but they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're saying no no no, he can't stand trial or he can't be charged with this because he's not bright enough. He forgets things. And then at the same time, you know, he is bright enough. He doesn't forget things. I, we're, we're not idiots. We see yeah. what's going on. Just say it like it is. And they, they do. They so much take us for idiots. And that's, that's the shame of it all. And it makes them look yeah. like they're idiots, which they are. I, I don't have any problem sugarcoating it. I don't get into politics either. But people in D.C. Yeah. and holding those positions, yeah, they are the biggest idiots on the planet for the most part. In my in my opinion, that's my opinion. Nobody else's. Not Ian's. Yeah. Not Jack's. Go buy his book. You don't. <laughs> I, I agree for the most yeah. part. But well, you know what I was going to ask well. though. So just to wrap up this thing that we were saying about this, where you said, you know, that the FAA is hiring people for all different positions, and I guess maybe you'll yeah. give some of our listeners or even Chris and myself. Well, again, like me, like, I said, when he read that, I'm like, what the, no. Yeah, air so, tra- so, so yeah. maybe we, some more we, assurance or to be more level-headed about the whole thing. I want the, the best thing. person to be the air traffic control. I want the best person yeah. to be yeah. the pilot. I, so I what I the, was yeah. wondering, though, is with your experience as a pilot, because this, the, this article that I read has opened up a lot of uh, discussion on this. So mm-hmm. I would love to hear it from straight from you. I mean, do you ever feel like you're working with people in those positions, whether it's pilots or anything that you feel got there because they were filling a certain quota? Like, do you feel confident in the pilots that that you work with every day? And, and has it changed over the years? Yeah, I, I will say um, whether. OK, be, I need to be careful about how I phrase this because sure. no, I, wanna, I understand I be, that I want to be I want to be very. Uh, no, no, no. I want to be very accurate because I will say that the, the pilot workforce in general has changed. It used to be a, white males. I'm mean, just going to say like that used to be just white males. Right. And then um, and then you started having color introduced. And, and this, you know, going back to the Tuskegee Airmen in you know, World yeah. War Two, there were some of the most combat decorated aviators. Um, yeah. My grandpa, you know, flew B-17s, his bomber jackets up there in my office. They loved it when the red tails showed up because they They're badass, they were badass, man. I, I read the history right. on them. They were badass. Really. They were. It, and so that kind of opened up that, right? And then you had, you know, female aviators like Amelia Earhart and you had all the the women's auxiliary uh, pilots that that actually, you know, supported the war effort by flying these, you know, 
um, advanced fighters and bombers and stuff into combat theater for the men because women couldn't actually do that. You know, so so it's changed. It's changed over time um, where you now have more um, diversity in terms of skin color. You have more diversity in terms of sex. Um, we've got diversity in sexual orientation now. But every single person that I have flown with, that I've shared a cockpit with or I've served with, has been nothing but professional. At my airline in particular, we've had a lot of really new young pilots and every single one of them has blown me away with how talented they are. Um, and we're talking, we're talking, I call them kids, right? I mean, they were, they just got their license in, you know, 2017 and I, I mean, I was almost retired from the military by then. It just says and, how old we are, dude. We're just old. Right. right. <laughs> but they're all very talented. And, and, and so I'm, I'm, um, you know, even though there's a lot, they make a lot to do about this whole diversity and equity and inclusion. So far, at least from what I've witnessed um, on the pilot side of things, that hasn't been the case. And you, you asked about like air traffic controllers. The good news is I only hear hear them on the radio, so I don't know. I mean, it, it could <laughs> you know, I don't know who they are. It could be a dude in a dress, and I would never know it. But they've all been professional. Um, the one thing I'll say is there's there's a joke pilots like to say is like. You know, um, how, how do you like what's the difference between or what do an air traffic controller and a pilot have in common? And and the punchline is, you know, if a pilot fucks up, a pilot dies. <laughs> if an air traffic controller fucks up, a pilot dies. So I always take that approach. I don't I, I don't listen to an air traffic controller and think they're going to keep me safe. I'm always thinking they're trying to kill me. And that when I was an instructor, <laughs> that's what I told my students. Hey, they're trying to kill you. It's up to you to prevent that from happening. I, that I felt good until you said that. Now I'm not flying. <laughs> but I was like, hey. no, I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm. We had this on other shows. We've talked about this on other shows as far as standards and lower. You know, even the Army Rangers infantry lowering standard. I, I don't care who you are. You, like I said you can be a dude wearing a. I don't. Standards are the standards are the standards. Don't yep. lower them. Yep. You pass them. You're good. If you don't. You're not, you're not, and it has nothing. Don't who gives a shit about diversity? Yep. And, it makes no difference. Here's the standards make them exceed them yep. like your peers do, and then whatever happens skin color, gender, you know, religion, I, whatever it is, it works itself out. But don't lower them to include the start or make some other whatever D, what's it, diversity, yeah, equity. Yeah. Don't make some bullshit like just have the standards, and whoever makes it makes right. it. and that's yeah. Like I said, even if we didn't. Boone's black. Nobody because the movie shows we didn't give two shits that the movie showed him as white because it made no damn difference. Boone was good as what he did. White, black, red, yellow. Our Mexican made no fucking difference. We were all were there because we made we we hit the standards and that's what we need to do. and we exceeded the standards because we stayed for so long. So I I, I still can't get around that. And I'm glad you're saying that, dude. And, uh, you know how you said. And I, I would have expected that from the pilot because you guys have huge standards to you have to meet to be not just well aviation just to be a, a commercial pilot but also to be a fighter pilot man I, I want the best guys up there because you're gonna have to drop j- danger close and i want you guys to know what the fuck you're doing yeah, yeah. and you guys always are so I'm, I'm glad you said that and i hear that and i, I don't mean to get off the subject you're here though and you are to me the the subject matter expert on this so that's what i wanted to ask you um I don't know. Maybe that's a book. Are you going to, maybe that's a story for another book about maybe no subject matter expert. And what happens if you aren't qualified to be the, 
Nobody wants to read. That's a horror. That's, That's a, a horror, horror story. <laughs> we, well, we could we yeah. could do an air traffic controller horror story. You know, we could do yeah. something like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I talking about, you know, standards. Um, I went through Top Gun with uh, with a, a girl in my class, you know, and I hesitate saying girl, but, you know, um, she was freaking awesome. I mean, oh, yeah. she was kicking ass in class. And the coolest thing about her was like she never made it about like, look at me, I'm a chick. Right. It was yeah. just I'm, I'm, I'm one of the guys. I'm a pilot. I'm a fighter pilot. That's what I am. And uh, the, the funniest story I always tell this um at the end of at the end of Top Gun, they have what they call a MIG killer debrief, where they bring in somebody that's actually shot down, you know, a MIG or or an enemy fighter, and um, and they give a whole presentation on it. And I think for ours, we had an Israeli pilot come in and talk about, and he showed us the gun footage and of all of all the kills he'd had. And she sat down next to me in this auditorium, and she had a fifth of Jack Daniels. And I was like, <laughs> Hey, hey, are you gonna are you gonna drink all that? And she's like, what are you, my fucking mom? I was like, no, I'd like some. Can you share it with me, please? Um, so it was just really cool. She was super skilled. And um, and so whenever I, you know, whenever I talk about, like, you know, serving and, and different, you know, genders and, and race and stuff, like, I've, I've flown with them all. And they've all been fantastic. They all just, they're just, they're pilots. And honestly, yeah. most yeah. of the... We had some uh, protective security people when we were doing stuff in Iraq, and we started to get women on it. On it, and honestly, they wanted to be called. Don't call me. I'm, I'm a fucking woman, and I'll still kick your ass, and I'll drink you under the table. Yeah, and, yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. where I just never could get 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 in this stuff. I just couldn't figure it out. Well, um, I, I, I we went off subject a little bit, but I, I still I love that. That's what you said there. Um, moving forward now, dude. You know, books, possible movies coming. You know, you got another book coming up. Are you looking in the future? Are you already got another one? Like you got another one on. Yeah. You got one in the batter's box. You got another one on deck. And uh, that, that's <laughs> that just, sounds like you got quite a few. Yeah. 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 So um, in this series, in the Battleborn series, I've I've finished writing book three, which is called Bogey Spades. That one will come out in November. Um, and then I, I still have to write Declared Hostile, which is the fourth book, the the last one that I'm contracted to write with this okay. publisher. Um, and that one will come out next, I think probably right around this time next year. So next, uh, February. Um, and then, uh, shortly after that one will be the first book. Um, it's called the book's called silent horizons, um, that I'm doing with Chad Robo show. And that's a three book series. So I've got at least, you know, uh, at least two more in my series and three more in another series that are going to be published in the next few years. Um, those are the last ones that I'm contracted to write now, you know, um, whether I continue the Battleborn series or do something else, or I don't, I don't know. There's, there's going to be something in the future because I, I can't sit still for more than, I don't know, two days before I, I start to want to, you know, write something, um, you know, and I'm playing around with, you know, screenplays, uh, maybe doing like, you know, writing, writing a movie, um, that would be cool. just, you know, just always doing, always doing something. I got to keep my brain working or else, you know, I end up just sitting on the couch watching Netflix. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, we spoke about that last time. You know, I could tell you're determined. I could tell you're not a guy who likes to sit around and watch other people achieve things. You want to achieve your own goals. And that's why I do believe, you know, we've put it out into the universe. I think you're going to accomplish that goal of full-time writer and once a year flying a yeah. plane. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's a pretty well, cool Well, once a month. Goal, once, so. a month. Uh, once a month. I'm gonna, once I'm gonna a month. Once a month. I don't know why I said Billy once Joel. a year. Once a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. once yeah. a year. Yeah, the Billy, be, the Billy Joel game plan. That's what I want to be on. 
But that that <laughs> I think we've put it out there. That is the goal, guys. Check out Outlaw. Pick up Outlaw, especially if you picked up the first book. Uh, there's plenty more on the horizon. Yeah. So Outlaw is out today, February twentieth, the day that you're hearing this. Uh, and JackStewartBooks.com to learn more. Of course, JackStewartBooks.com at JackStewartBook on X at JackStewartBooks plural on Instagram. So I uh, appreciate you coming on a second time. Great conversation. Yeah. And uh, I think you're going to have a ton of success with this book. Yeah, always. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really, really enjoy the conversation. And Chris, good to see you this time. Oh, you you too. Hey, and th- I didn't tell everybody. Dude, the, this is how cool he is. He even did the RLTW. That's badass, dude. All the way. Thanks. Thanks, my friend. Oh, yeah. I, I did have one question for Book signings. Are you doing any book signings in the future? Any work coming up? The home states, little book, or anything like that? You know, I'd, I'd like to. Um, it's it's uh, nothing happened really for Unknown Writer. I did go to um, a company called Greencastle Consulting. Um, I think it was started by a couple Rangers, um, but uh, but they they hire all veterans, so they had me come up there up outside Philadelphia and and do a little talk and a book signing for them. Um, I might go up there again just because it was really cool, but. Uh, but I'm always looking to do do events. I don't have any scheduled at this time, but but maybe in the future for sure. Cool, cool. Uh, if you do, definitely. And maybe we can do something together. And something coming up. Uh, I'll figure it out. We'll try to figure it out because yeah, I know love people it. love people love signed books, and I I do. I I collect them. So thanks, buddy, and God bless you. Thanks for your service too, dude. You're a badass, man. Likewise. That's all for this episode of Battleline Podcast. But we're always posting new content on social media. Follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. That's an order. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes up every Tuesday. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always... Never quit.